0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Mount Vigil podcast.
1: I am Blaine. I'm Anthony.
0: And here in the beginning, podcast number one, the first question is, Anthony, what is Mount Vigil?
1: Mount Vigil is a discipleship platform for the end of an age. It is a, uh, a teaching and resourcing platform to help us understand the story of God, to understand our times and uh, to know what to do, to know what the way of Christ is in these times. A discipleship platform
0: for the end of the age. Now, you and I think that's interesting.
1: I think it's deeply fascinating.
0: But we also know from teaching this content, interacting with other real people, that it doesn't make sense to everyone. So we've been talking about it in different ways, like... Mount Vigil is a project that exists to orient the church to her situation and make some recommendations about how the church could live if it wanted to thrive and partner with Jesus in a significant time. It's also a way of talking about it that is in hard times, a person needs more of God. More of God is available, but we have to do work to discover the ancient way, all of which relates to something of a core hypothesis, or at this point, a core theory about the times that we're living in.
1: Yeah, so the Mount Vigil thesis is that we are living through an apocalypse at the end of an age. And then that, that has real implications for what life is like, how, um, like, like specific challenges in life. And we believe that Jesus has specific instructions for us He has a way for us to live during these times.
0: Yes. It sounds like at this point, you're very comfortable with that sentence. (laughs) We're living through an apocalypse at the end of the age. How long did it take you to become comfortable with that idea?
1: (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um, I think the ability to say that confidently comes after about two years of thinking about this specifically um and in 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 the many many more years of having my mind my worldview my sense of reality shaped informed by the story of god um, by life with his people and so on so by reading lots of books um but the 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 kind of concentrated experience of life that's resulted in saying that comes after about two years almost exactly
0: it could become a valuable benchmark for a person it at least creates some wiggle room for me to say if you feel cagey talking about the apocalypse in a confident way that's okay there are years available inside of which to become comfortable with that idea
1: there are lots of good reasons to feel cagey about it and we're going to spend time talking about this as well
0: yes now i suspect that many of our friends listening are familiar with people like Tim Mackey, people like Paul Kingsnorth, people who have written about apocalypse as it exists inside the imagination of the biblical writers. But could you briefly say what an apocalypse is? Is it fire? Does it describe destructive violence? No matter how much a person has their imagination conformed to the worldview of the Bible, it's hard to separate ourselves from that idea that apocalypse means annihilation.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, we were talking the other day with a friend and dropped the, the apocalypse word. And uh, he was like, wait, you mean like a literal apocalypse? And our response was, uh, what do you mean by literal? And what do you think an apocalypse is? Um, so the word apocalypse means revelation. It means unveiling. And an apocalypse, I mean, it, it's a it's a loaded concept. It's a big category. But generally, um, an apocalypse is when a person's spiritual eyes are opened and they're able to uh, perceive things they previously could not. So an apocalypse occurs when the spiritual nature of reality is revealed and someone is able to witness that.
0: Yes, that's an intense idea. I was thinking about apocalypse this morning and it felt important to say that apocalypses have layers and that the first thing a person usually sees as they begin to probe the world, as they begin to try to see according to Jesus, is that things are both better and worse than they expected, but you've only reached the bottom layer of an apocalypse when you see things the way that Jesus sees them, when you hold the same assumptions about the world that Jesus holds. And I thought about this in terms of people, Because most of the time when I'm talking about apocalypse, I'll talk about revelatory relational moments. I'll talk about times that I wasn't sure what a person was up to, maybe what season a relationship was in, or even like more dramatic levels. Is this person for me or against me? And then there can be an apocalypse when you realize what a person is really doing. However, until... You see, even negative action in terms of the work of Jesus, and see even an apocalypse person as someone who's loved by God. You haven't hit the bottom layer. Mm. So, apocalypse as revelation is hugely important, and it seems to happen in stages. There seems to be a progression. What's interesting about your summary there was that it was seeing things. What did you say? Seeing the spiritual reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, apocalypse is a huge subject, a huge category. And I think uh, in this podcast, we'll certainly have, you know, uh, multiple episodes that are specifically about it. But that is a good summary of it's a good introduction to the concept and a, a good clarifier for how we use the word in this, in, you know, at Mount Vigil. <laughs>
0: Yes, you're living in an apocalypse. Now, let's dive into the second half of that sentence. At the end of an age, what
1: do you mean? <laughs> we believe that like history is divided into ages, that there is an overarching meta-narrative to history, that there's a direction, an arc, that um, history uh, is the unfolding of a great cosmic story, God's story. And yeah, we believe that there are ways to to like to ascertain where you are in that story, and we think that we are at the end of one of the ages of mankind. We're at the end of one of the the, the very very large books. Uh, you know, I, I would use the word chapter, but more like an, an epic. You know, books. One of the we're at the end of one of the books within the great story of. Uh, of salvation, of God and mankind, of, of God setting things up, all things straight.
0: My follow-up question is, I know that in this project we'll be exploring or probing the territory of we're at the end of an age. Are we also at the end of the age? Are we at a critical moment in salvation history itself? And my question for you is, why should people not freak out when they hear someone having that conversation or when they entertain that idea?
1: I think they shouldn't freak out if they know Jesus and because uh, because this is all fundamentally good news for those who are in Christ. And it's actually, it's it's just good news, full stop. Saying more about like what the Mount Mount Vigil thesis is in regards to the end of an age. Our bold claim is that uh, we are not only in the end times, which were inaugurated at the ascension of Christ and will be consummated at the return of Christ, but that we think we're at the end of the end times. As I mentioned before, I think there are lots of good reasons, uh, lots of reasonable reasons to feel uncomfortable when you hear someone talking that way. Um, I grew up around a lot of what I would call uh, Christian crazies and more generously mis- uh, misguided uh, conversations around the end times. I, I grew up around a very like doomsday type of mindset and, and feeling and aesthetic with this conversation. Um, but what we want to encourage you in is we, we, we want to build in you and, 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 and in your imagination A sense of joy and hope and energy and delight in the idea that Jesus is returning soon.
0: You said something really important, which was that the eschaton, which is a word that describes, throwing up the quotes here, the end of time, the last things, the final stage, started at the ascension of Jesus. So... The church, all of it, has existed in the eschaton, has existed in the end times, which is helpful in one sense, because it means that the resources in our history are actually relevant to the times that we get to live in. I think that it's interesting that we think a person should feel joy, hope, expectation, relief over being near, the return of Jesus and your word, crazies, <laughs> it is very apropos because in my life, I have not seen very many mature, peaceful, generative, generous Christians say boldly, Christ is coming back soon. They may hope for it in their private life, but I think that for many reasons, and as you've said already, we will dive into these over time. People have become shy about talking about the return of Jesus. And so the people who aren't shy are often already social outliers. Now, I'm also aware that talking about the end of the age triggers this bizarre in-grouping, out-grouping experience where if you believe that we're living near the return of Christ, you get to be a member of some kind of prophetic elite. This is just a way that I've seen it over time. So you kind of have to say yes or no, to the proposition that Jesus is coming back soon. If you say no, then you are not living in the light of revelation, then you didn't get the secret information, and you are a spiritual outsider. If you say yes, you have your fingers on the spiritual pulse of reality.
1: And what and what you're saying is that if you are part of the Mount Vigil project, you're part of the prophetic elite? Is that what this <laughs> I'm is I'm
0: saying that whole thing is unhelpful. <laughs> I'm saying we are going to do something completely different here. I think that much of what we talk about in view of an apocalyptic time, a revelatory time, will be surprising because we're not trying to get people on board with any kind of elitist in grouping kind of project. We're not trying to shame people who do not think that we are living near the return of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We're not even really trying to persuade them that we're living near the return of Jesus. We are trying to persuade them that there is a way to live. That there is a way to live if you want to experience more of Jesus, and that is the only way to life. It just happens to be the case that a person is going to need a lot of life right now because they're living in a significant time.
1: That is such an important point. I was thinking about this this morning. While we suspect that we are at the end of the end times, and that's kind of a, it is a core part of the the fundamental thesis of the Mount Vigil project. If you don't agree with that for any number of reasons, we still believe this project will be really encouraging and helpful to you. Regardless of where you are in the story of God, it is helpful to know how to read the times that you are in according to the gospel, according to the larger story of what God's doing in the world. Whether or not you agree with us that we're at the end of the end, um, it's a generally more acceptable uh, assertion that the church has always existed in the end times, that the end times are a real period of time, again, beginning with the ascension, and, uh, and so, if that's the case, then uh, how to live, given that, will hopefully be helpful to you. Um, either way, it is very important for you to seek to find union with Jesus, to, to walk in the way of Jesus, uh, and to receive his life on a daily basis. And that's really what this project is about.
0: Yeah, it's intriguing to me that even in the, materialist academic space, mathematicians, ecologists, historians are beginning to believe and write that we're living at the end of an age. There's a sort of mathematician historian who came out of ecology, whose name is Peter Turchin, who has written extensively on the idea that We're living at the end of a secular long cycle. And so we should expect to see our political systems start to fail. We should start to see the fault lines in our civilization widen. And he does not have the hope of Jesus. So (laughs) I don't know, one, how he lives with love, how he lives with hope or how a person in that situation would do that. But I also don't know, again, why so many of the followers of Jesus, so many people who really do love him, are resistant to the idea that we are living in a unique and a significant time. However, you know we are, and we want it to go well for the people of God. We want to see people thrive, and there's a major part of this project that's born out of a set of convictions around how people thrive. So the next, just part of this introduction that I'll toss your way is how do we think people thrive and how will that shape the conversations that we have on this podcast?
1: Fundamentally, people thrive when they are experiencing union with Christ, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit and when their hearts are fathered by God. So pe- people thrive when they encounter the Holy Trinity, um, God in all His glory, and uh, in a way that, that, they, that, that they encounter in their hearts and in their bodies and in their minds every day.
0: Yeah, directly.
1: Directly. Directly. Not, not, as, a, uh, not as a matter of propositional assent but as a matter of person-to-person intimacy.
0: Yeah, you see, that's a little bit of a gauntlet throwdown in one sense, because you and I both grew up inside what can broadly be called Western Protestantism.
1: In which Dallas Willard says, our chief job is to be a brain on a stick in a pew assenting to propositions. I agree with that. I agree with that.
0: Right, and we view salvation as a matter of belief, and we frame belief in terms of recognized statements. We'll call them propositions again, but do you agree that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God? And if you are able to think that, you're in. Now, right thinking is very important. I think it's important in one sense to position a person to have an experience and to enter into a relationship with a living God. There is a self-described neurotheologian. He's, he's a psychologist with decades of clinical work. His name is Jim Wilder. He was actually a friend of Dallas Willard. And what he began to realize was that a person's propositions did not need to change their behavior, did not need to fill their life with goodness and virtue and beauty, but that a person became like the people they had attached to in love. And Jim Wilder's thesis, looking at ancient Christianity, was that the followers of Jesus needed to find practices inside of which they directly experienced God so that they could attach to God in love and take on the nature of Jesus. Of course, good deal. Theology and propositions are important because you need to know who it is that you are attaching to. C.S. Lewis describes it in terms of sailing, where he goes, you, you want to go out on the ocean, but to get there you need a map, and you need tidal charts, and you need to know where the reefs are. But a person who studies a map their whole life does not know what it is like to sail, and a person will never get very far sailing if they haven't mastered the charts. So they do go together, but we think that people need to structure their lives to experience God's love, the love of Jesus.
1: That's good. And, uh, and just to clarify, we're not asserting a false choice between good theology and life with God. In fact, good theology captures all of this, that God designed us uh, with bodies, with hearts. And, you know, love your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. Uh, So it's actually bad theology that resulted in the sense that all there is to Christianity is learning good theology, um, quote-unquote. Yeah, so the ancient way of the faith, the ancient way of Christ, the ancient way of God's people, has always been wholehearted and embodied. There are spiritual disciplines, and uh, the way of God's people together, and the sacraments, and uh, various meditation practices, and um, the whole rich way of of Christ available to us, and the idea that the faith is really just a matter of propositional is kind of a, a more recent idea, the result of, let's say, enlightenment ideas and other ideas kind of taking over our worldview, so there's nothing there's nothing new here.
0: Right. There is nothing new here. I think that for a long time I thought that reality would have to change in a dramatic way in order for me to experience more of God or to directly experience God. I thought that you know it would be an exclusively radical set of mystical experiences and it doesn't actually have to be like that. I think one of our convictions here is that reality is both more spiritually saturated than any of us believe, but that spiritually saturated things often feel more ordinary than we would believe, and that those things do ride together. And so We do need to experience more of God. We do need to explore the practices of Christianity inside of which people have encountered Jesus. And we can expect that to look pretty gentle, pretty accessible, because our ancestors in the faith had the same nature that we do. They were people formed in the image of God. They were a lot like
1: us. Yeah, that's good. So much of what we will be, we will be talking about is the ancient way of Christ. And yet this podcast isn't just another uh, spiritual, living, kind of daily devotional type of podcast. Um, this project really is more specific as well, specific to our times. So what are we going to be talking about? Um, Three major streams. First, understanding the story. Understanding the great cosmic story, the the story of God beginning like really before creation and uh, going to um, the return of Christ. Second, we will be working to help you, to help ourselves understand the times that we are in. And to, to know our enemy, to know what the enemy's strategies are during these times. It's important, it's imperative that the church um, have their heads up and, and know what's happening. And the third, the third thing we'll be talking about is what is the way of Christ? Given the great cosmic story, where we think we are in that story, given what's happening in the times that we're in and the strategies the enemy is deploying around the world, what is the way of Christ for God's people now?
0: It is probably an understatement to say that interesting things begin to happen to a person when they find themselves oriented to the story of God, when they understand the strategies of the enemy, and when they're embracing the way of Jesus. There's an interesting tension in the church in our times between, there's literally a book of this title a theology of the ordinary, and radical transformation. Much of that tension goes away when a person makes it their goal to understand the way of Jesus. When a person begins to be transformed by Jesus, we will talk about some of the ways in a practical sense, that a person could live, ways that they could begin to care for their city, ways they could begin to care for their community that are an expression of loving Jesus. But riffing back through just for a second, understanding the story of God, I'm curious to hear, just recently, what's a facet of the story of God That is new to you. Because the point is, there is a lot to recover. And fortunately, God is doing something in the church in this season. So this is happening. People are getting the whole story back. And when we see that God is doing that in the church, there's a little bit of uh, additional urgency in responding to dive into that movement.
1: I would say it's rather recent that I've encountered... Uh, a category, a, a stream of theology that all I call divine Council theology. And we're not going to have time to unpack that here, but the the kind of teaser trailer version of it is that the Christian faith, if someone at this point were to ask me, anthony, you're a Christian, so you're a monotheist, right? I would I would hymn and haul, I would hesitate, I would say... It depends on what exactly you mean by that word it depends on what you think a god is and so on Uh, Christians are certainly monotheists in the sense that there is one creator God that we worship but uh, it's become (laughs) clear to me that there uh, are more gods more spiritual beings that God created that are part of his divine counsel and when you start cracking that story open uh, and understanding hu- humankind's place in that story, uh, and our eventual destiny to be part of the divine council um, through what the Orthodox call theosis—a a theology of salvation, that, uh, or a theology of like the end of mankind—that um, the Orthodox Church has the word theosis for. Um, it's just one—it's—it's t- it's the most mind-blowing uh, thing for me ever, in which. Uh, There's a new light shown on every aspect of my faith, but not in a way that actually changes anything fundamentally, Um, as in like it's the same Christian faith, and yet it is radically overhauled.
0: (laughs) Yes, I was... (laughs) You you can never really tell when you're having the conversation where people are going to check out or freak out.
1: I'm imagining people checking out of this podcast at that at this point. Uh, right <laughs> here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's, you know, you can think of Jews as being uh, monogamous polytheists, where they only worshipped and created a covenant with the supreme and unique Creator God. Where they believed in a pantheon of gods. And I was trying to explain recently why, and again, this will be a teaser but why it is actually not only more accurate, but helpful to talk about spiritual beings or small g gods than it is than angels and demons. And I think that two pieces that will really help you see reality in an accurate way are authority and worship. I grew up alongside Christians, who at least to a certain extent acknowledged the existence of demons, they were sort of seen, and I'm thinking here of Sunday school and lectures that I heard, they were sort of seen as being minor forces of temptation. Now, That's not the way the Bible talks about them and our goal should be to conform our imaginations to realities that's revealed in Jesus and testified to by the Bible. And when you grasp these concepts of one authority, that that there are spiritual beings who actually can have a lot of permission and ability to operate within a particular sphere, that is helpful. When you understand that... There are spiritual beings who can receive worship and actually uh, relate to people. That's helpful. You were having a conversation with a neo-pagan recently.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's such a great conversation. Uh, a sort of friendly acquaintance that, um, who was my barista for a long time back in town. Um, and she and I had been texting because I, I knew that she was part of some uh, neo-pagan uh,
0: thing, like
1: summer camp, <laughs> almost literally. And uh, so, so she, she was like, how, how, like, what do you know? What, what are your practices? You, like Through our text, it's obvious that, that um, I don't have to introduce this to you, even though some of my sources, um, but like, so who are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm a Christian, um, so that's where I'm coming from. Um, I think that what you're doing is real. I think that these nature spirits and all these other things that you're uh, interacting with and these practices are real and potent. Um, but I think that it's only good to to love and and worship and interact with God. Father, Son, Spirit, God.
0: Yes, and when... <laughs> You either were asked or thought later why you only related to one God. <laughs> yeah,
1: this, this girl like, was deeply mystified because she was like, how could you know that there are many gods and that the world is profoundly spiritual and that we can access spiritual realities and power by doing things like fasting and, and you know fasting vision quests in the forest or whatever? and not want to do all the things available to you. And my, my short answer, this isn't exactly how the conversation happened, but my short answer was because uh, because the Christian God, Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, is the only one that loves you. The other ones don't.
0: <laughs> yes, and lucky for you, the only one who loves you is also the only uncreated And supreme and unique spiritual being who became incarnate in Jesus. So, unlike the other Elohim, the other spirits. And that's great news.
1: The Most High Creator God, before whom, after whom, beside whom, there is no other.
0: Now, understanding the times, just to riff on this a tiny bit more, there's a lot to know that you will find helpful, I think, once it's interpreted in terms of the story of God. Facebook recently changed its name to Meta and unveiled the Metaverse. And I follow many people who view this as a catastrophic turn, a diabolical turn. But you can only really understand what's happening there if you understand the impetus of salvation history, if you know what people apart from God are trying to do in order to get on the throne of God, if you know how the rebellious spiritual powers, aka demons, are trying to partner with people in order to destroy them, and metaverses fit inside of movement that's broadly called transhumanism, that's an important thing actually to know about if you can read it and once you interpret it through the story of Jesus, where in which there are only so many roles available. There are really only two sides, and there aren't very many things that the various actors on the various sides are trying to do. So it's both complex and simple, but it is helpful to understand, let's say, decentralized currencies through the gospel of Jesus. It's helpful to understand ecological catastrophe in terms of the gospel of Jesus. I sent you an article recently so you could have another source on the fact that, and this is an interesting way of putting it, more than 60% of the world's insects are, in quotes, missing. (laughs) (laughs) They are not missing. They are gone. Now, another thing where people might stop listening is to say that we have the highest extinction rate right now that we've seen for 60 million years now if you don't think the earth has existed for that long that's fine actually we're still okay in fact there are questions around cosmic history both in terms of science and in philosophy that are very interesting to both of us but to go there is a real ecological collapse happening. Do you know, I'm sure you know, but there is a thing called uh, solar geoengineering that is happening right now. Uh, Your friend, Bill Gates, (laughs) is going to shoot non-toxic aerosols into the upper atmosphere to reflect sunlight away from the planet.
1: This is the most, uh, I mean, Bill Gates isn't the only one about this. Um, Lots of sort of Silicon Valley type startup you know, uh, quote-unquote do-gooders are in on this type of project, geoengineering. This is the most, like, have you no sense of the limitation of of mankind and our ability to understand unintended consequences, to predict them, to avoid them? Have have you heard of the phrase, and now you have two problems? (laughs) Um, And, like, literally just last night, I'm reading a book... I always forget her name, the woman who wrote uh, My Side of the Mountain. I'm reading another book by her to uh, my kids. And I, I in the first two chapters, it introduces um, the woodpecker, the Lord Godbird. And as I'm reading it, I, I just, without pausing to think about the impact of this on my children, I say, oh, that bird went extinct. And we all just paused and felt really sad and and my daughter just looked so downcast. And uh, I had to you know, turn it around and talk about hope of resurrection and the resurrected world and so on. But uh, ecological collapse is a major category of things happening in the world now and something that we need to understand according to Christ, according to the spiritual nature of reality.
0: Yeah, you recently wrote a blog about this that was... Alarming to the people who read it. (laughs) In which she just kind of listed some of the movements that you follow. Now, we believe that it's possible to know about these things without freaking out. And it's possible to know these things without becoming a self-reliant and doomed prepper. But there is a little bit of the storyteller in me likes to introduce these things with a little bit of a head turn and a little bit of a slanty eye and go, and do you know what these people are trying to do? Do you know who they are if you were to assign them a character in the biblical narrative? Do you know what they're doing here And how, in the midst of that, we partner with Jesus to bring many to salvation and overthrow spiritual evil and restore the human heart and restore the world. There is joy to be had. It's possible not to freak out, but you can only avoid freaking out if we're actually experiencing more of God as we see reality through Jesus, which takes us back into that third point we've already explored at length. In order to thrive in an apocalypse, which you do need to understand, you need more of God, and we're going to discover that
1: together. I want to call out that not only is it possible to not freak out and to just feel dreadful all the time, when you become, after becoming aware of all the enemy's nefarious strategies, it's also possible not to become a misanthrope, not to just be prideful and feel like you're the only one who gets what's happening and to be impatient with those who don't care or don't agree. And uh, it's, it's possible to not become angry as well. It's possible to see people, uh, let's say in this case, like Bill Gates, and to have compassion and uh, hope that they meet Jesus and so on.
0: Yes, to experience real love and that goes well for all of these
1: people. So we are neither recommending, we're we're, we're going to talk about some pretty cataclysmic things on this podcast. We're neither recommending uh, freaking out nor uh, this is not us equipping you to be pissed off all the time. What we are recommending is seek union with Christ.
0: I know there is plenty on the table already. It will be fun over time to unpack these pieces. The turn we do want to take, just here at the end of the introduction, is to remind you that if you want to experience God, the odds are infinitely in your favor. If you want to see Jesus, the odds are infinitely in your favor because Jesus is in pursuit of you. He wants to be seen by you. He wants you to see his face and the compassion and the understanding and the kindness that is there. I happen to know that most people are pretty startled when they try their first imaginative prayer exercise. at How easy it can be? Now. It can also be very hard as someone who tries to explore the spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster has a great line on them where he goes, in one sense, the spiritual disciplines are very easy. In another, they're extremely hard and that is true. But if you want to experience the relief that is available by turning your heart towards Jesus, the good news for you is that Jesus wants to be seen by you. He wants to stoke that in your heart. He wants to comfort you. He wants to give you an inextinguishable life for the season that you have been given to live in. And so we are just going to try something very, very simple right here, which is to become aware in our body slash soul, more on that another time, of the presence of Jesus. God is with us. God is with us in the Holy Spirit. And so it's true that if you're driving or running or canoeing or making dinner, you are not alone. God is with you. And it's still really wonderful to become aware of that fact on purpose. And the way we'll do that right now is just two things. One, we'll become aware of the present, which is the last moment most people are attentive to. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters wrote that the present is the one point at which time touches eternity said, it's ablaze with the light of eternity, and that's true. So we become, one of the ways to become aware of the present, just to return to the moment where the grace of God is actually available, not the future, not the past, is your senses. What are you hearing right now? I just heard a car go by on the street outside. The textures, what are your hands and feet touching? And then a great one can be the texture and the temperature of the air. As you sort of breathe to go, oh my gosh, this is the moment that actually God has given me to live. What's the texture of the air? What's the temperature of the air? And then once you're there, to you go, Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Jesus, if you were to walk into this scene, where, where are you? Where would you come in? Would Jesus already be sitting next to you in the car? Would he be standing across the table from you? Would he be running next to you or in front of you, running backwards to make eye contact, leaning against the wall? (laughs) Sometimes when my soul becomes aware of the presence of God, becomes aware of Jesus, it kind of freaks out for a second and is usually mad or something. There usually is emotion. That's okay. But see if, as you go, Jesus is here, can you tune in to his face? Can you see the expression there? Even if you can only hold it for a second, if you bounce off, you can go back to senses, take me back into the present moment, take me back into sounds and smells and temperatures and textures, and then taking a breath and going, Jesus, where are you? And then as you see him, like kind of look up again, oh, there you are in a vague way going to just try with the eyes of my heart and in my sanctified imagination to see what you're wearing. And then your face, if I can just see it for a moment, picture it, like your eyes, they're usually very kind. What does he look like? And then as you see that, breathe it in. I see that you love me. I see that you actually care. And I'm going to let that be a reality. I'm going to let that land on my soul on purpose. I'm going to let that land in my heart on purpose. And you can just take a second to receive from God, to receive his life. Take a breath. Return to where you are. You can pay attention to the task at hand again. There's more to unpack there. There's more to discover in terms of there's a wide variety of practices, practical things that a person can do to be filled with the life of God, and we will continue to dive into those. But that is plenty for today. Anthony, what is our invitation to our friends who have tuned in episode one?
1: Yeah, we would like to invite you to journey with us As we work to understand God's story, as we work to read the times that we're in, and as we seek Jesus, as we follow in the way of Christ, um, the place you should go is to mountvigil.org, M-O-U-N-T-V-I-G-I-L.org, and the best way to get on board is to subscribe with your email and uh, to subscribe to this podcast and tell people that you think It would be a good fit for about it.
0: Good to be with you. We will see you uh, potentially on any of a number of platforms in the coming week.
1: Ciao.